Well, praise the Lord. We used to sing in Sunday school, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. And then if you really felt crazy, you said, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And then if you really, really, really were Pentecostal, you said, if you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. I haven't seen any foot stompers in a while. Maybe we need to get back to foot stomping or something, but... And then we used to say, and if you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. How many could just testify by smiling that God's good? He's a great God. He's a great God. And he's blessed me. And I'm thankful for his many blessings. I'm thankful for you being here tonight. I'm thankful for this church. And I'm excited about what God is doing. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 1. And Brother Jenks, uh, I'm putting you on the spot, but if you could go to Genesis 1.26 with me. Actually, let's go to verse 24. We'll just read that whole context there. Genesis chapter 1.24 through 28, if you have your Bibles. It won't be in my slides, but... And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after this kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image. Everyone said image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Let me just read that one more time. He created them male and female. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that move, moveth upon the earth. And so, tonight I'm picking back up in our lesson, 10 signs you might be guilty of self-idolatry. 10 signs you might be guilty of self-idolatry. And we're going to pick up with number four, and, uh, and we're only going to do a couple, and we'll finish up next week. Uh, let's pray and then you can be seated. Lord, touch our hearts. Help us, I pray, that we could understand what idolatry really is, what it means, God, and how to avoid it, to understand how serious it is to you, Lord, and not something to be taken lightly. And we give you praise and we magnify you and you alone, O oh God. And everyone said in Jesus' name. And so God, and you can be seated, thank you. So God, uh, when he was creating the world and he created Adam and then, of course, he created Eve, Mankind was created in the image of God. This is something that, that we understand uh, in a Judeo-Christian culture, the lingering understanding that God created us in his image. And there's a sacredness to that that we often forget. For example, and I'm not going to tarry on this long, uh, but in one of our points last week when we talked about idolatry of, of self and 
uh, vanity and pride and obsession with beauty and outward things. Oftentimes, we, uh, a sign of self-idolatry is someone who is, is intent on changing their God-given image. When God creates us, I was talking to my daughter about this today, uh, how we, we were, she was learning about DNA in school. And so we were talking about how every human being has their own distinct DNA that was given to them, encoded by God. Did you know that God is the great designer? He's the great coder. And so God puts a code inside each and every one of us that forms our eye color, our hair color, our skin color. All of this comes directly from God. Man can't duplicate it. God has created the world in such a way. And humanity, which was created in his image, he has a unique plan for the, the outward appearance of every single living person. God did that. That's why uh, we used to hear a lot of sermons about how every fingerprint is unique. That's how God is. He makes all of us differently. He, and he gives us distinctions. And culture tries to tell us what beauty is. Culture tries to tell us what acceptable is. But God says, I made you and you are my creation just the way you are. So when, when you're living in a society like ours that has so much money and so much free time and so much vanity that people are obsessed with things like uh, uh, changing their appearance through, uh, through surgery, for example. Uh, you know, plastic surgery has become uh, common. It used to just be the rich people, and now everybody's saving up to get plastic surgery. What is that? That is a culture that is obsessed with self. It's a culture that is intent on changing the image that God created them in. And you cannot forget that God created you in his image. And that ought to give you a sense of self-worth. You know, don't let the world decide what your worth is. Don't let the world define what beautiful is to you or what handsome is to you or what, uh, what special is to you. God created you and God does not make mistakes. God did not create you by accident. And so whenever you see people who are intent, one of the reasons that scripture is, is so uh, serious about gold and jewelry and wearing it and things of that nature and prohibiting it is because uh, gold and silver, all of these things were so much a part of idol worship, and it became something that people would literally wear as a reminder of the idol that they worshipped, and they became intent on changing who they were. That was the whole point of Jezebel and, and the culture that she came from, the Philistine culture, the culture of Baal worship, is that makeup was designed to change who she was, and she could put on a different face, a different front, a different persona. You know, studies have found that makeup today changes people's personality because uh, they, they feel as if they are hiding behind a mask. And so people will act differently when they're covered in makeup. And this is not just a female problem anymore. See, men, th women think that I'm, you know, picking on them, but now we have a culture, I just read an article yesterday, 25% of men are wearing makeup now. And women have a problem with it, as they should. They don't like it. And, they, and you know, they're not wearing the same kind of makeup that women wear. And so some people say, well, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's different. It's a, typically, they wear black makeup and things like that. You see a lot of black mascara on men now. 
That's becoming a popular thing. It's going to be more popular, just like more and more women, men are wearing dresses and skirts. Anybody see that recent picture of the, uh, the actor? It's a big viral picture wearing a skirt. And I often ask some of my, my Christian friends who long ago accepted women wearing pants. I often ask them, I say, uh, well, how can you say that it's wrong for a woman to wear a dress? Because if, if it's okay for a, wim, a woman to wear pants, why, and there's no difference between the genders and there's no distinction, then how can you tell a man that he can't wear a dress if it's all the same? And I'm often met with kind of a strange stare because it puts them in an ethical conundrum. It puts them in a difficult position because instinctively we know that men and women are different. And God designed us to embrace those differences. It doesn't mean that men are better. They certainly aren't. It doesn't mean that women are better. They certainly aren't. God created men and women to complement one another and to help one another with their deficiencies. And all the women know that men have a lot of deficiencies. Amen? Amen. And men will just be quiet about that. But God created us in his image. And when we began to move away, and culture has been doing this for a long time, uh, this constant pull to run from the image that God has created us in. And so we, we ch chop ourselves up and we pierce ourselves and we paint ourselves and we change our image and we change our gender and we, and we, uh, we put down the distinctions between the genders. And now we're in a culture where the preachers from the 30s and 40s who everyone thought were crazy when they started noticing these things, now we're in a full-blown crisis where people aren't even sure if God created people male and female, and that's a set thing. So now we're in a society where people have to literally deny science and biology. And, you know, typically it's the secular side of things that accuses the church of being anti-science. And here we find ourselves as preachers in the awkward position of having to say, does anybody not remember biology from the fifth grade? And can you read your Bible and see that God created us male and female? He created us in his image. What is, why am I saying all of this? Because so much of the confusion that we see and so much of the desire to change ourselves and cover ourselves and be different, change our hair color, our eye color. Uh, I, I saw someone the other day, uh, I, I uh, went to a meeting with them and uh, they had green eyes. And then I saw them the next day at another board meeting, and they had blue eyes. Very bright, scary blue eyes. And I said, either you're demon-possessed or something's going on because you had green eyes yesterday. And they said, oh, no, I, have these, I, I don't like my eye color, so I, I have these contacts I put in, and it changes my eye color. This is a culture that is obsessed with self. This is a cult. Now, am I against doing our best? I think that because we're created in the image of God, we should take care of ourselves. Amen? Amen. Oh, that's going to get quiet now. We should take care of ourselves because that's why, for example, when the Bible teaches that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, that's why I don't drink. That's why I don't smoke. That's why there's a lot of things I won't put in my body because my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm created in the image of God, and so I'm not going to do anything to destroy my body. That's why I don't do drugs. That's why I don't do mind-altering things like marijuana. 
because I don't want anything to alter my mindset, my temple, or who I am in God because I am created in the image of God, and God doesn't make mistakes. It'd be a good place to say amen. And so what, why am I saying all of that? Because we are in a culture where we are, whether we want to admit it or not, even the poorest among us are very rich compared to the poor 100 years ago. We have more things. We have more stuff. Even the poorest among us. You know, I, 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 uh, I'll often go to homes and teach Bible studies and visit people and knock on doors and sometimes, most of the time by myself. And, uh, and sometimes I'll go to very poor areas and, uh, and invite them to church. And, and I'm always amazed because uh, I'll, I'll go into the house and, and uh, no matter how little they have, they, they have microwaves and refrigerators and, and air conditioning and television, and they have things. Now, am I saying that's bad? No, I, I'm glad that they have all of those things. But, but if you were to go 100 years ago to a poor house, you wouldn't see those kinds of things. We're living in a culture where we do have things. We, kids have cell phones. And, and if we're not careful, we will, we will look to self and we will become so comfortable with things and have so much time and so much money that we become obsessed with ourselves, changing ourselves, our image. And yet God wants us to be content with how he made us and to rest in who we are in him. Okay, that was all free. Number four, signs you might be guilty of self-idolatry. We're moving past that when everyone breathed. We're done with that. We'll move to this one. You might be guilty of self-idolatry if you routinely reject apostolic pastoral authority. Or really, I could say it this way. If you reject any kind of spiritual authority, if, if you are incapable of being submitted in your own life to God-given authority, this is a sign that you are looking inward to yourself for all things and you're not submitted to the plan of God. Hebrews 13 and 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Can we say that together? I know that's hard, but let's say it. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, here's how you know he's not just talking about the mayor and the police officer and the chief of police and all of that. Uh, he says this. He says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So your pastor gives an account to God for you. He gives it in this world and he'll give it in the afterlife. Uh, your pastor in prayer gives an account to God for you. And in the afterlife, your pastor will go before God and he will have to give an account for how he led and how, how he exercised his authority. By the way, uh, you know, a lot of people worry about um, uh, pastoral overstepping or pastors taking too much authority. There's not a lot of danger of that in this culture because we're in a culture where people aren't going to let a pastor have too much authority anyway. But, we, but we're in a culture where um, if, if people were to look at authority, they typically run from it. But a pastor has to look for uh, what is happening in your life and his life. And often people will worry, maybe a pastor will go too far, do something wrong. Here's the thing. God will judge a so-called pastor harshly if he leads incorrectly. 
If you have a crooked shepherd, if you have a, a shepherd that's on the take, if you have a shepherd that's uh, in it for vainglory or for personal gain or, or just for a power trip or, uh, or for whatever reason, maybe popularity, shepherds like, and I've, I've listen, I've been hurt by pastors like that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but we probably all could. I've had pastors hurt me. Some of the deepest hurt in my life has come from ministry. It's come from ministry. But here's one thing I know. Number one, I'm not going to touch God's anointed because I'm going to follow the, the example that David gave us. If anyone had a right to harm God's anointed, it would have been David. And David said, I'm not going to do that. Now, did David say, I'm going to let myself be abused? No, he got away, but he did not harm God's authority. And he also trusted that God was going to sort it out. And how many know that God did sort it out? And Saul, Saul had his day of reckoning. Amen? Everybody remember that? And it's the same with modern shepherds. When we stand before God, if a shepherd is not right with God, God is going to take care of that. You can put that in God's hands. Vengeance is what? Mine, saith the Lord. And by the way, you can apply that principle to every area in your life. I know that's easier said than done. Listen, I've been hurt by people, and I know how bitterness can start to creep in. But let me just tell you that in the end, it is not our job to take vengeance. Vengeance is always God's, whether it's your brother, whether it's your sister, whether it's your boss, your co-worker, your pastor, whatever it is, vengeance is the Lord's. And it, it, is, it is a form of self-idolatry to try to take vengeance unto yourself. Why? Because you're taking something that is God's and you're taking it unto yourself. You're taking something that is only in God's power to give. And you are taking that unto yourself. Anytime you're taking something from God and pulling it to yourself, that's a form of self-idolatry. And so if you can't be submitted to godly authority, then that's a sign that something is wrong in your spirit. First Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the what? In the Lord and admonish you. How many like that word admonished? I don't. It's a, it's a hard word. How many like being admonished? You want to be admonished. You just want someone to really admonish you. You know, to be admonished can be a hard thing. I have been admonished many times. The greatest admonisher in my life is sitting on the second row right there. My mother. Uh, I am serving the Lord today because of the admonishments of my mother. And if she couldn't get through to me, she would take me to my father and the admonishment would continue late into the night. And uh, I didn't always like admonishment, um, but admonishment was good for me. Uh, I'm thankful for it in, in, in hindsight. There are many, many days. I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll never forget when, uh, when my, I didn't change the oil in my car for a long time and I ignored the light and the engine blew up. And I had been used up until that point in time uh, to going to my father, and he would just bail me out. And at this point, I was probably 19, something like that. And I had a job, but it was a part-time job, and uh, uh, they were trying to get me to go full-time, but I didn't want to go full-time because I didn't want to work all those hours. And, 
you know, it was only minimum wage anyway, and so my, you know, my reasoning was, well, it's only minimum wage, you know, what, 20 more hours is just gonna give me a few extra dollars, I don't wanna do that, and so, um, and so when I, when I went to dad and, and said, uh, uh, you know, it's gonna be about $1,500 to fix my car, can you help me? He said, no. And I said, oh. <laughs> That was, that was one of those moments where you're going from childhood to adulthood. And y'all know adulting is hard. Can I get an amen? Adulting is hard. And, uh, and I'll never forget that moment where I realized that he was going to let me fail if I didn't get up and stand up on my own. And, uh, and that was hard for me. It was the first time that he had ever really said, I'm gonna, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to let you fail. Did you know... Allowing someone to fail can be a good thing. It really can. You know, there's a there's in, in Alcoholics uh, Anonymous, they they talk some about the idea of being an enabler. Enablers are people who help someone continue in a certain pattern that is self-destructive. You know, I, I, I sometimes worry in, in in modern Christianity that we, we don't condone sin, but we do enable sin. Everybody all right? So we're not, we're not condoning this. We don't like it. We don't want them to be an alcoholic. We don't want them to, to be selfish. We don't want them to be evil. But, but we enable them through our actions, and we think that we're being kind. We think that we're being loving. But did you know that, that you know, and, and a lot of people point to Jesus and say, well, Jesus didn't judge any, anybody. <laughs> You're not reading the Bible I read. He said, go and sin no more, honey. Go. Stop it. He looked at him. He said, You're a brood of vipers. You whitewash everything on the outside and on the inside. You're like, you're like, you're like, it's just gross inside. Jesus was very clear with people. Jesus did not enable anyone to sin. Well, he ate with sinners, Brother Ryan. Yes, he did. And he told them they were sinners. And he told them, you need to change. He did it with love. So when, when people come to me and say, well, uh, you know, I, I just hang out with my sinner friends and we do this and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, every, and I say, well, OK, that's great. I don't have, have a problem with that. But but. You know, because I'm trying to draw him to the Lord. Good. Did you tell him anything about the Lord? Well, you know, we talk sports. And, well, did you tell him that they need to change? Did you allow conviction to come into the conversation? Because every time Jesus sat down to bread with a sinner, he talked to them about what they needed to do to be saved. Yes, he did. And sometimes he wasn't invited places because people knew that he was going to speak the truth in love, but he was going to speak the truth. It is terribly unloving to be unwilling to speak the truth just because the truth is sometimes hard to hear. Did you know the truest things are hard to hear? The easiest thing to hear is a lie. Lie is very easy on the ears. People say, well, why don't people follow the Bible, Brother Ryan? Why, why don't they take it at its word? Because a lie 
is easier to hear. Our flesh would rather be told a lie. Our flesh would rather be told what we want to be true and not what is actually true. Did you know that? Eve wanted to hear that she could be like a god. That appealed to her flesh. She wanted to hear that she wasn't going to die. She wanted to hear that this was going to be no big deal. It appealed to her flesh. She liked that. It felt good to her. And so it wasn't true, but she did it anyway. And that's how millions of people are today. We, we, it's not that we're incapable of knowing what truth is. It's just that it's easier to believe the lie. It is. And so... When you run from apostolic authority, that's a sign that you need to check your heart, that there's something that you're not submitted and there is a part of you that is rising up in self-worship. Hebrews 13 and 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Everyone said their way of life. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Okay, let me just, let me just preach this into you for a minute. Well, I know that pastor does that. But I don't think I need to do that. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Well, I know my pastor feels that way, you know, but I, you know, he's going to get like the extra big mansion in heaven and I'm just going to get the little shack and I'll be just happy to make it in. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's a scriptural command. And anytime we run from that, there's something in our spirit of self-worship. Number five, you crave flattery, but recoil at conviction. You crave flattery, but recoil at conviction. Proverbs 27 and 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I would rather have a friend that tells me something hard that I don't want to hear than an enemy saying nice things to my face and stabbing me in the back in the dark. Anybody understand that's true? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we have a spirit of offense. So when truth is spoken to us, we're offended immediately. By the way, that's the number one sign of self-idolatry. And, and, and so we, we're told something that's true. We don't like it. Um, I remember the first time someone told me I was balding. I was so angry. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have more hair than I've ever had. And then, and then I saw a picture that someone had taken from like up high. You need to be careful. Y'all taking pictures while I'm preaching. You need to make sure you stay down there. And I don't need any up high pictures on Brother Ryan. Because when you get up high, you can really see. And I, I didn't note it. Now, now I can really tell. But back then it was just starting. And, uh, and I saw a picture and I realized I got mad at them. But they were right. But you know what? I was still mad. <laughs> because some things hurt when you first hear it. You know, some things are just uncomfortable. You, you have to settle into something. that it, it, Your mindset has to shift. And you have to change the way you're looking at the world and yourself and thinking differently. And, and uh, I remember, you know, when I turned 33, I, I, I still... I thought, well, you know, I'm just barely in my 30s. Now I'm about to turn 36, and I'm having to come to grips with I'm closer to 40 than 30. 
Those are, there's things in life you just have to, your, your mindset has to shift. They're truths. And, and sometimes with friends even, or brothers, or sisters in the Lord, or family, or ministry, or whatever it is, uh, someone tells us, some, maybe it's on the job, your boss, it gives you some constructive criticism, and it, and it doesn't feel good. We don't like it. It's a wound. Sometimes it wounds us a little. Did you know the truth can wound you a little bit? Wound you a little bit. When, when, um, when someone breaks their leg just the right way, I saw this happen one time as a kid. A, a young man in Boy Scouts had his leg broken really badly uh, on a Boy Scout trip. And, I mean, you could see the bone was just sticking out. And our scoutmaster came up. And do you know what he had to do to fix that problem? He had to break it again, pull it, and... I mean, you could hear it crunch, the bone. And you know what? That, you know, that scoutmaster was helping that young boy. But I can guarantee you he didn't feel like he was being helped in that moment. <laughs> he thought someone was trying to kill him. Because that's how, that's how help can feel sometimes. Help can feel like a wound. And enemies are very good at telling us what we want to hear because enemies very rarely come at us to our face. Enemies usually attack us from behind, right? And so, uh, you know, you have to beware of flattery because people with flattering lips are often people that are doing something behind the scenes. And so if you're craving flattery, if you enjoy the flattery and the only kind of uh, a conversation that you can have is a conversation that tells you what you want to hear and you can never receive any kind of conviction or any kind of something that goes against what you want or what you're thinking, that is a sign that your heart has begun self-worship, a cycle of self-worship where it's all about building you up and you're not really committed to the truth and what God wants you to hear and what you need to hear. I'm, I'm human just like you are. I don't always like to hear what I need to hear. Anybody be honest enough to admit that? I don't always like to hear what I need to hear. Do you know what they say about cancer? They say that um, uh, most of the time, cancer if, could, could probably be um, cured. It could be eliminated, eradicated from the body. If it's caught early enough, that's, that's what they usually say about cancer. It, it needs to be caught early in the early stages, and then they can get control of it before it, 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 it grows and begins to spread. And, but the problem is that many people, and doctors know this, it's a real problem in, in the, the community of doctors. I talked to a doctor about this last year. They, people will suspect that something is wrong. They'll feel a lump or, or they'll see something irregular or they'll feel something irregular and they'll suspect that something is happening. But they do not want to go to the doctor because they don't want to have to know for sure. It's easier to wonder for some people than it is to know for sure because they're fearful of a bad report. Do you know some people are like that spiritually? They're very much like that spiritually. They, they, they know something's not right. They can feel it. They can sense it. It, it, affects, it affects their movements. But they really don't want to know for sure. They would rather the kisses of an enemy make them feel like maybe, maybe it's okay. 
But real love, people that really love you. I can tell you, the people in my life, my family, people who really love me, uh, knowing all my flaws and everything that's wrong and seeing every failure and every mistake in my life, the people that really love me, you know how I know they love me? Because they will tell me the truth when it hurts. They love me enough to be honest with me. And I love them enough to say, ouch, but I still love you. Amen? Mm, but I still love you. You know, sometimes in my prayer life, I'll say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. How many want to hear the voice of God? I'll say, Lord, I want you to talk to me. I want you to speak to me. But, but here's the thing. I want you to tell me whatever it is that you want to tell me, even if I'm not going to like it. Even if it's not what I want to hear, Lord. You know, sometimes when we pray, we're guilty of praying kind of with a motive. And so um, we will say, Lord, I want you to tell me. But then we tell God what we want him to tell, what we want him to tell us. You ever done that before? Like, God, I want you to tell me that everything's going to be okay with my finances tomorrow. So speak to me, Lord, and tell me it's going to be okay. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Lord, I want you to tell me right now that this is going to happen by next week. Tell me that, Lord. Well, you know, what if God wants to tell you something else? Are you willing to hear that? What if God is working something better long term than what you're asking for in the short term? Because sometimes our problem as humans is we don't think big enough. We're asking for $100, and God wants to give us a better job where we make thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars more per year. But we're so busy trying to get God to commit to give us that one little blessing that we won't let him talk to us about maybe where he really wants us to go. Maybe there's a reason for what's happening, but we have to be willing to let God speak to us. And so I'll say, Lord, tell me, even if I don't like it, and sometimes God tells me things I don't like, but I love God anyway. And you know what? He has never let me down. He has never lied to me. He has never told me one thing that was not true. He has always been faithful. And even the hard things turn into good things when I look back. Even the things I didn't like, when I get a little ways down the road and I can look back a little while, I can see God was working it together for my good. He didn't tell me that because he hates me. He told me that because he loves me. He didn't tell me that because he's mad at me. He told me that because he cares enough about me to keep me out of harm's way. Anyone who's ever had children knows that Children will accuse you of raising your voice when all you were doing is telling them you need to get out of the street before the truck hits you. Why did you yell at me? Because the truck almost ran over you. It was the only way I could get your attention and get you out of the road before you got ran over. Uh, and, and sometimes God has to, as, as the children of God, sometimes God has to do something to get our attention. And when we look back, we realize God was keeping us out of harm's way. Are you thankful for that? All right, number six, you might be guilty of self-idolatry if you lack compassion for those less fortunate than you. You lack compassion for those less fortunate than you. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And this is a simplified version. Gentleness and patience. 
So as, as children of God, we are to be selfless enough. And, and I admit that uh, our pastor, by the way, he, he's one of the most selfless people I've ever known. He will give until it hurts. And uh, sometimes I'll come into the church and, uh, and, and I wonder where he is. And, and he's been taking people uh, grocery shopping, uh, people he's never even met before. Pastor does that all the time. That, that's, that's the heart of our pastor. He has a very, uh, he has a very generous heart, and, uh, and he cares about people who are less fortunate. It does not come that easy for me. Is that okay? Can we be real? Y'all have issues too. Don't, don't look too bad at me. It doesn't come that easy for me. Now, once I know people, I love them, but sometimes when I don't know people, I, you know, I have kind of a sense of... And, and you know... I really realized this for the first time. I was in downtown Atlanta with my children. We were walking, and there was a, there was a, a, a lady that walked up, and uh, she started asking for food. And just in me being who I am, carnal probably and needing to pray that day, I didn't really pay any attention. I just kept walking, you know, because... That's what we do in downtown areas sometimes, right? And my son and my daughter, both in unison, looked at me and said, Dad, that woman said she's hungry, and you're a preacher. (laughs) She got $100 that day (laughs) because guilt overwhelmed me. But they were right. They were right. You know, sometimes kids, they will really hurt your feelings, won't they? They don't even mean to. They're just. And I realized in that moment, you know, we have to guard our hearts. That's a form of self-idolatry when it's all about us. Our problems are the only problems that matter. What we have is the only thing that matters. As long as I've got what I need, that's really what matters. That, but in God's economy, God will not allow us to be that way. We have to care for people who are hurting, that are, that are less fortunate than us. It is the plan of God that we would look out for one another, that we would care for one another, that within our means, I understand, we can't, We can't take food off of our children's table. We can't take food out of our kids' mouths and give it to other people. But what we can do is if we have a little bit extra and we're in a situation where we see the need, it is wrong for us to turn our back on that need and say, I'm not going to do anything. Sometimes we even say, well, I can only do a little bit, and that little bit won't solve the problem, and so I'll just keep that little bit. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. If all you have is a widow's might, just give the widow's might, be a blessing with what you can, and God can take that blessing that you gave, and he can multiply. And by the way, if everyone who called themselves a Christian would just give the little penny that they have extra, there would be no one suffering because we would all be blessing someone somewhere because that's the economy of God. God does desires for us to be that way. And if we struggle with that, we need to look very deeply and make sure that we're not just in it for ourselves, that it's not just self-worship. All right, we're going to close with this one, number seven. You might be guilty of self-idolatry if you maintain a double standard. Uh Uh-oh. You consider some things acceptable for you, but not for others. That one hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Proverbs 20 and 10, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike. They're an abomination to the Lord. 
This is talking, of course, about people who would buy and sell goods in the marketplace. They would, it was a form of cheating where they would, uh, they would use one set of weights and measures for one person, another set for another person, and then they would cheat people that way and they'd overcharge people and things of that nature. It was uh, uh, an old world system of cheating. And this became, this became a common expression for you, you can't go through life treating one person one way and another person another way. You can't have one standard for you and another standard for another. You can't measure your goods differently than you measure another person's goods. You know, I've been amazed, you know, in my lifetime, how many people can justify lying. They, they can say, well, it's okay for me to lie, but if someone lied to them, that'd be a big problem. You ever met someone like that? They don't want you to lie, but if they need to lie, it's okay for them. And they'll even tell you all about how lying is wrong, it's sinful and all of that, and God hates it, but it's okay for them. That is self-idolatry. That is one of the purest forms of self-idolatry. When you say, that person should not do that, but I can. We all know people like that, don't we? That person, they need to be, they need to be faithful, but I'm not going to be faithful. That per- they, they, need to, they need to be kinder, but I, I don't have to be that way. Romans 2.11 says, for God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. What does that mean for me as a preacher? What that means is uh, just because I'm a preacher and and I have an anointing and God called me uh, to preach the gospel, I'm very thankful for that. But in the end, God is not going to show partiality to me if I allow sin or idolatry into my life. When I stand before the Lord, he isn't going to say, well, you get a pass because you were a preacher. No, God's going to judge me with the exact same weight and measurement that he judges you. And so you can look at someone and say, well, they're, they're different and they're different. But in the end, God is going to judge all of us the same. Let's stand together. You know, that, that kind of stings a little bit, but that's also ought to encourage us because what does that mean? That means that the wealthy can't buy their way into heaven. The poor will stand before God with just as much merit as a multi-billionaire. The beautiful, the people of the world, the movie stars, they'll, they're... God isn't going to say, well, you were beautiful, you were famous, you get special treatment. No, they may get special treatment in this world. They may be treated in ways you'll never be treated, but when they stand before God, God is going to show no partiality. Someone with a high intellect, an incredibly high IQ, God isn't going to show partiality to them and say, well, you were brilliant, you had better things to do than serve me. No, the highly intelligent and the least of the intelligent are all going to stand before God on the same playing field. And that ought, to make, that ought to make us feel comfortable to know that God is not going to show favoritism. He's not going to show favoritism. Have you ever been, have you ever been a victim of, of someone else receiving favoritism and it hurt you? We can be honest. Somebody else was... Maybe on the job. I've had this. I, I've had, uh, I, I was a harder worker than that person. I knew the job better. I knew more than they did about the job. They were late all the time. But 
They had a relationship with the boss, a friendly relationship, and so they received favoritism when it was time for a promotion. We've all seen those kind of things, haven't we? That is one of the most painful things you can experience in life, when, when someone is, receives favoritism and then, and then you're left on the sidelines. You can trust and know God is not going to do that to you. When you stand before the Lord, you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Regardless of anything else, if you have been obedient to God, you're going to hear the word and you're going to step into the same reward as everybody else. That's how good God is. Can we lift up our hands? God, I pray that you'd remove any, any, any vestige of self-idolatry, anything that would try to creep into our spirit, anything that would try to hurt us, anything that would try to harm us. I pray that you would take it from us, Lord. I pray that we would walk in righteousness. I pray, Lord, that we would lift up your name and your name alone, that nothing would come between us and you, that we would know we're created in your image. We give you praise and glory. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around to two or three people and tell them you're glad to see them in church and that everything's going to be okay.